You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. Today's teaching comes from Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9. The large numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to not just listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Brenna. (laughs) Thank you so much, Brenna, for reading God's word for us today. Well, very good morning to you. My name is Corbin. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights and excited uh, to dive into God's word together. Uh, If you would, I got an announcement before we dive in, but if you would grab a Bible or a phone, type two, turn to Exodus 25. Uh, We're going to be in Exodus 25 through 27 this morning, uh, and it's going to be really important that you have the scripture in front of you. I'm going to give you little bits of it up here, but uh, we're going to fly through it in big sections uh, because we got a lot to cover uh, on the tabernacle uh, of God today. I'm excited about it. Before we get there, I want to double click on what Anna was just talking about on the Connect class, okay? Uh, The Connect class, if you are new or new-ish, this class is for you. Uh, You need to be there, okay? Right after service today, we're going to spend about an hour. We provide lunch. We provide childcare. Basically, what we do is take away every barrier uh, to you coming. Uh, so that you'll show up. And, uh, you know, the, the connect, here's how the Connect class works, just to give you a little behind the scenes. Uh, if you want to get involved in the life of our church family in any way, uh, if you want to join a community group, if you want to jump onto a serve team, if you want to make a friend, uh, if you want to be known, uh, if you want to know people and be known by people, if you want to know what we believe, if you want to get on track to becoming a member here, uh, Connect classes for you, okay? This is kind of your one-stop shop for all of that. So I think we have about 22 of you signed up today. If you're signed up, raise your hand. Uh, if you're signed up for raise your hand, uh, yeah, that, that looks like three. I think there's 22 of you signed up uh, today. Uh, we've, got, we've got plenty of food. If you're like me and you, don't, you didn't sign up and you just want to show up, just show up and we would love to have you. We've got plenty of food. We ordered extra for you. Um, so really excited about that. Here's what I'll say about this. I know, I know that uh, for, sometimes if you're new to church, maybe you're here, you're like dipping your toe back into the whole church thing. It can feel risky to show up to something like this. It can feel a little bit risky, uh, but I would just push you, uh, take the risk. Uh, take the risk. I think you'll be really glad uh, that you showed up. So that's Connect Class, right after service today, right over here in this corner. So right after service, just make your way down here, and we will, we will kick that off. All right, um, here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I just want to slow us down, uh, prepare us to dive into God's Word, and then we'll dive into Exodus 25 uh, through 27. So would you, guys, would you guys pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we want to pause, and we want to slow down. Um, we have... Man, we've been moving fast. Uh, Many of us have had busy weekends. Um, We've had busy weeks. Uh, We're entering in here in different, man, physical conditions, in different emotional conditions, in different spiritual conditions. And the one thing we need more than anything else is you. And so, 
Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be present with us? Would you uh, prepare us to lean in in expectancy? Uh, prepare, prepare us uh, for your speech. God, we want to leave here changed uh, today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the best feelings in the world is the feeling of coming home after a long, exhausting day. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like you come home, maybe you've had a hard day, it's been super exhausting, you come in the door, you get yourself, you know, you, you, you light your pumpkin candle because it's October, and you need, it to, you, know, you need to get in October vibes, you light your pumpkin candle, you get your little snack of choice, you get your drink of choice, whatever that is, you slide into the couch and you watch a little West Wing, you know, to calm you down. After the West Wing, you do a little palate cleanse and you do a little bit of office. That's my palate cleanse, you know, before I go to bed at night. You watch a little bit of office. And then you slide off of the couch and you slide into bed. You guys know that feeling? It's that, it's that feeling of coming home. Now, some of you are, you know, you hear that and you're like, so is that your ideal evening? And the answer to that is you will never know. But probably, but probably, that's my, that's my ideal evening. You know, the, the, the sense of home comes with this sense of, you, you guys know it. It's like, man, this sense of relief. Uh, this sense of rest, this sense of like, man, I can let my guard down. And ultimately, like when, where, where home is, home is where you go to be healed. It's where you go to be healed. It's where you go to be renewed. It's where you go to be refreshed. It's where you go when you're depleted and you need, you need more energy just to keep on going in life. Well, today I want to talk to you out of, Le- out of, out of Leviticus, out of Exodus 25 through 27, not Leviticus, out of Exodus 25 through 27 about coming home. In Exodus 25 through 27, God is going to come to us and he's going to invite us into the healing of home. If you're like me, uh, life has this kind of like pervading sense of restlessness and disappointment that comes with it. You guys feel that? It's like even when things are going well, I can kind of have this like cloud over me of restlessness and disappointment. Life is hard. And life's hard, you know, for a lot of different reasons, and we're carrying, like, the hardship of life in this, in, in, into this room in a thousand different ways. Sometimes life is hard because of relationships. And it's like, man, you, you carried in the, into the room this morning a relationship that is like, man, it's, it's on edge. And you're like, life's hard because I got this relationship that is on the fray. Life's hard because of the physicality of life. Sometimes our bodies get sick and they break down. Life is hard. Life's hard just because you're like, man, I thought my life was going to go this way, and my life has gone that way, and I'm just wrestling with this deep sense of disappointment with where I'm at in life. Life is hard for a thousand different reasons, and here's the temptation about how life, about, you know, how life works and how you know, healing and rest will come. We always think that healing and rest and the rejuvenation will come with the next season. You guys with me? It's like, you know, whatever season that is for you, it's like, you know, uh, rest and healing is going to come whenever I graduate. Rest and healing is going to come whenever I, you know, you know, I, I meet the person that's going to be like my, my soulmate for life. Rest and healing is going to come whenever I get the job that is my dream job. Rest and healing is going to come you know, in the next season of life, whenever I have the kids. And then you have the kids and you're like, rest and healing is going to come whenever these kids grow up. You know? um, all this, rest and healing is in the next season. But you know, the reality of life is you move into the next season and it doesn't come. You guys with me? And it's like, man, I thought there's like this pervading sense of like, restlessness to life. I thought that life would be better and I would find rest whenever I had X amount in my Edward Jones account. You know, it's like, man, and it just seems to evade us. We want life to come with this sense of rest and safety and warmth and relief and joy and healing and restoration, all of those things. We want home. 
That's what we want. I love what Tim Chester says uh, in his commentary on Exodus. He says this. He says, quote, The longing for home reflects the human story. Humanity suffers, all of us suffer, humanity suffers a deep sense of dislocation. I love that word. It's like, I'm, this world isn't the way it's meant to be. My life isn't going, I just feel, my life isn't going holistically the way I think that it should go. We feel, he uses the word, homeless. And then he gives us the reason, he says, and that's because we were cast out of our first home. The story of the Bible uh, gives a reason for why we feel this way, why we all have this disappointment that comes with life, these longings for more that comes with life. You see, God placed the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to talk a lot about the Garden of Eden. This is Genesis 1 and 2. And the garden was dominated by by fullness of life, by these amazing realities. God looked at the Garden of Eden and he called it, you know what he called it? He called it very good. He goes, this is life the way it was meant to be lived. It was dominated by the full presence of God. God was there. It was governed by his good kingship. They enjoyed friendship and fellowship with God and full life and light dominated everything because at the center was this thing called the tree of life. The garden was good. It was home. It was a place of rest and security and safety. And do you know that this is the reality that you are created for? Garden realities, beautiful realities. But when the first humans, as the story goes, rejected God, they were exiled from the garden and exiled from all of its realities. And ever since, Every single human being, when they lay their head on their pillow at night, has felt a deep sense of dislocation, a deep longing to go home, a deep longing to return back to these garden realities, the way life was meant to work in the world. The best way to think about our condition and this restlessness that we all feel is that, in a sense, we're homesick. We're we're not home. Like, the world's not the way it was meant to be. Our life is not the way, our, our lives are not the way they are meant to be, and we are homesick. We long for better lives in a better world. And the story of the Bible, this is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The story of the Bible is God coming to us and inviting us back home. That's it. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, so the life of man upon the earth, and that's humanity, you know, this was written a few years ago, so he wasn't taking all of our stuff into consideration, you know. So the life of man upon the earth is a life away from the presence, that is away from the garden realities, wrenched loose from that blissful center, which is our right and proper dwelling place. It's what we were created for. Our first estate, which we kept not, we, we lost it, the loss of which is the cause of our unceasing restlessness. That's it. Do you feel that? It's like, man, I feel that, that unceasing restlessness. And then he says this, the whole work of God in redemption is to undo the tragic effects of that foul revolt and to bring us back again into right and eternal relationship with himself. This is what our passage is about today. In Exodus 25 through 27, God is coming to us and inviting us home. He wants to heal you. He wants to invite you into life the way it was meant to be 
lived. So today, in a, in a sense, if you were to read this, uh, we're going to put our architecture hats on. Now, I know some of you are actually architects. Uh, I'm looking at an architect that I know down there, down there in the crowd. Uh, so, so, you, so bear with me, okay? Bear with me. But we're going to put our, our architecture hats on a little bit. And I want to show you, here, here's what I want to show you as we study the tabernacle today. I want to show you how the tabernacle, this tent, the dwelling place of God, and specifically the architecture of the tabernacle, tabernacle shows us the way home. It's actually a, a map modeling the way we go home. That's what it's all about. And even more, just to kind of show my cards a little bit, and this is something that I just kind of want to, I want to drive down into our church. What I want to show you is that the gospel of Jesus that we get in the New Testament is everywhere in the Old Testament. That's one of the things, like, if you leave here today and you don't see that really clearly, that everything that we're going to talk about today points forward to the work of Jesus, it's all about Jesus, then I did not do my job very well, okay? I want to show you how this, how the gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament, even in the design and architecture of God's Old Testament home. So a little public service announcement. Uh, at times today, is going to be a little bit luxury. Okay, it's going to be a little bit luxury, not luxury, luxury. Uh, it's going to be a little bit luxury. Uh, we're going to, but, but what I want you to see, I want to encourage you to lean in because the invitation at the center of this is really beautiful. God has come to invite you home. So we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this uh, passage, these three chapters together in four sections. Section number one, we're going to call God is restoring home. God is restoring home. One of the greatest problems for a lot of well-meaning followers of Jesus is that we only have a negative understanding of Christian salvation, and we don't have a positive understanding of Christian salvation. Here's what I mean by that. For a lot of followers of Jesus, by the way, I think that this is what keeps a lot of people from coming to Jesus as well. So if you're here exploring, I think this is a problem. Here, here's, what we, here's what we talk about. We talk a lot about what we've been saved from, and so we talk about how God has come in Jesus Christ to save us from Satan, you know? and from sin, you know, and from hell, and from death, and we know a lot about what we've been saved from, but we don't know a lot about what we've been saved for. We have a, we have a negative vision of salvation and all of the things that Jesus has come to do, but we don't have a positive vision. And I don't know about you, but it's like negativity doesn't draw me to anything. It doesn't. We know what we've been saved out of, but we don't know, we have no clue what we've been saved into. Okay? Now, Exodus 25 through 27 is about what we have been saved into, and it is really, really beautiful. It's all about what God has saved us for. It's the, not the negative vision of salvation, it's the positive vision of salvation. So in Exodus 25, God begins to give the instructions for building what's called the tabernacle, his Old Testament dwelling place. And you know, if you've ever read this section of scripture, if I can just speak really honestly, it's kind of like reading the dictionary. It's like, man, it, it, it's a slog, you know? And so if you, if you entered in here today, you know, you need to know we're walking through the book of Exodus, and it's easy to be like, man, man, why, you know, you, if you were reading this on your own, you'd probably be like, why is this in here? You know, and you're like, I'm just going to skip over this, and you'd probably just keep flipping pages, keep flipping pages until you got to Exodus 32, where the people like build a golden calf because it gets interesting again, you know? It's like, why is this in here? And even more, you, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, like, man, we're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about the architecture and, for lack of a better way of putting it, interior design of God's Old Testament dwelling place. Why did I just waste my whole Sunday morning? But what I want you to see is that this is really beautiful. Here's, here's how we know this, because if you were an ancient reader 
of this section of scripture that we're going to be studying, as you're reading through this, you would have started getting really worked up. If you were an ancient reader that that was really familiar with the story of Genesis, God creating everything and everything that happens in Genesis, and you're reading through, you see the story of Exodus, you would have started having all of these things firing off in your brain, and you would have started looking around at your friends and going, do you see what God's doing here in Exodus 25 through 27? And your friend would have been like, yeah, I see it. And you're like, do you see it? This is amazing. This is amazing. Because here's what's happening. If you were really familiar reader of the Bible, you would, have, you would begin to see that what God is doing right here in Exodus 25 through 27 is he's beginning to rebuild the Garden of Eden from back in Genesis 1 and 2 right here in the middle of the desert. What he's doing is he is beginning to rebuild home and take garden realities that we've lost and reinstitute them. So in chapter 25, I'm going to walk through these fairly quickly. In chapter 25, we see four realities that stand at the center of the tabernacle. And I want to quickly show you these. And I want to show you how every single piece of the tabernacle is the restoration of the Garden of Eden from back in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? This is what God is doing. He is rebuilding our home, the garden. The first reality is the presence of God. The presence of God. The primary reality that marks the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 1 and 2 is the very presence of God. God was there. And this is what makes the garden so good. This is the very first reality of the tabernacle. Look at Exodus 25 verse 8 with me. It says this, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. This is the very first time in the story of the Bible since the garden that God has come to dwell with his people again permanently. But then he says something in verse 9. Look at this in verse 9. He says, you must make it. So he's designing his home. Okay, this is essentially what's going on. He's getting super into architecture, and he's getting really into interior design, for lack of a better way of putting it. He says this, you must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all of its furnishings. So he's going to so he's going to go, "Hey, I have this picture of my dwelling place and I want you to build it uh, according to this sp- uh, this specific picture and I want you to pay attention to the details." And in in Exodus 25 and the rest of Exodus 25, he gives three pieces of furniture. And here's what the furniture is all about uh, in the tabernacle. Each of these pieces of furniture is to make it feel more and more like the Garden of Eden from Genesis 1 and 2. So here are the three pieces of furniture. There's the ark, the table, and the light. A word on each. The ark, the table, and the light. First, the ark of God. Look at at, uh, uh, Exodus 25, verse 10. It says this. They are to make an ark of acacia wood. 45 inches long, 27 inches high, and 27 inches wide. So basically, so basically this is like, the, what you should have in mind is this is like a little ottoman, okay? It's just like a little rectangle ottoman that God is going to, God's going to prop his feet up on, okay? That's, that's essentially what the ark is, okay? So what's up with the ark? What does this mean? Well, the ark is all about God's kingship. It's all about God's authority. You see, in the ancient Near East, kings had what they called footstools or arks, and when a king sat in judgment and exercised his kingship, he would sit on his throne and put his feet on the footstool or the ark. But Israel is not going to be ruled by a human king, but a divine king, God himself. 
And so what we see in the ark is that God reigns from heaven, and the ark is God's footstool. It's where God's kingly reign is entering back into the world. Now, a couple of things that I would point out in this section if we're working through this section. First, this is a restoration of the garden reality of God's authority. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. That's what the ark is about. It's where God's good authority comes, is entering back into the world so that human flourishing can happen again. Healing can happen. But the second thing I would point out about the ark is that if you pay close attention to this section, you will see how good of a king this God is. He's really good. You see, a lot of people don't like the idea of God's authority, and we would say it this way. It's like, I don't want that God telling me how to live my life. You know, it's like, and this is what, what was at the core of the rejection of God in the Garden of Eden is like, man, I don't want God telling me how to live my life. But if you pay attention to what he does right here with the ark of God, you'll see that he is a good king whose authority we should long for. So just pay attention to what he puts inside the ark and over the ark, okay? This is Exodus 25 verse 16. It says this. He says, put the tablets of the testimony. What's that? Well, those are the Ten Commandments. Put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. So here's what this is showing us. God rules as king through his law, through his word. So he rules with justice. He's a just king. But what we see next is that he's a king that not only rules with justice, he's a king that rules with mercy. Because he says this in verse 17, make a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. This would have been the best way to think about it is a lid to the ark. So notice the imagery. Notice the imagery. He's putting the Ten Commandments in the ark and the mercy seat over the ark. Okay, this is very intentional imagery. This is to show us that he rules with justice by his law, but his mercy toward lawbreakers overshadows his justice. Okay? Now, if you're familiar, this is wild. This is wild because if you're familiar with the New Testament, you see that our mercy seat is the cross where God's mercy outweighs his justice and mercy toward lawbreakers is forgiven. Do you see this? So guys, here's the thing. I'm gonna point this out a lot. A lot of people are like, man, why are we spending so much time in the Old Testament? Man, just give me the New Testament God. I don't even like the Old Testament God. He's, you're like, are you kidding me? He's full of mercy. His mercy, even right here in the architecture of his home, it's amazing. It overshadows and overrules his justice, showing us that no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven and restored to God all the way back in Exodus 25. Amazing. The second piece of furniture is the table of God. The table of God. This is verses 23 through 30. I love this, that God, takes, uh, God sets a table in the middle of his home with bread and wine on it. I love this. And do you know why he does this? Why does he do this? Well, it's obviously not because God's hungry. You know, You're like, why does God put you know, bread and wine in the middle of his home? Well, it's obviously not because God is hungry. Why does he do this? Well, it's to show us this reality. It's to paint the picture of a meal with a good friend. It's to show us this reality that God is not only a king to be obeyed, but a friend to be enjoyed. This is the God of the Old Testament, guys. He's not only a king to be obeyed, but he's a friend to be enjoyed. In the same way that you enjoy a beautiful, delicious, incredible meal with a good friend. God wants to relate to you like that. Guys, this is the restoration of the garden reality of the enjoyment of God, where we don't only fear God and we're scared of him, but restoration of friendship with him. Again, like I just want to highlight this, guys. This is the God of the Old Testament. 
It's a God who's laying out a table going, I want to be friends with you. The third piece of furniture is the light of God. The light of God. This is, uh, this is verses 31 through 40. God says, set up a lamp. Now, this lamp, no doubt, was to provide light. This was in the middle of a tent. It would have been really dark in there. So really practically, this was for light. Um, but it's also, if you were to read the text, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second, it's also designed to look like a tree. Okay? Look at this. This is verses 31 through 33. We'll put it up here on the screen. He says this. Here, this is talking about the lamp. You are to make a lampstand out of pure hammered gold. It is to be made of one piece. It's base and shaft. It's ornament, ornamental cups, and it's buds and petals. If you have your own Bible, circle that right there. It's supposed to look like a tree. It's buds and petals. Six branches are to extend from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from one side, and three branches of the lampstand from the other side. Go to the next verse. There are to be three cups shaped like almond blossoms. There's tree imagery there again, each with a bud and petals, tree imagery on one branch, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with a bud and petals. On the next branch, it is to be this way for the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Here's, the, here's, here's what this is pointing to. This is to remind us of the tree of life that stood in the middle of the garden, okay? So here, here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to show you. We're done with the architecture. Okay, kind of. We're, we're done with the interior design. We got more architecture, okay? But here's what I'm trying to show you. God gets into interior design, okay? Right here in Exodus 25, and everything is intentional. What he's doing is he's laying out his home to remind us of our first home. And as you see this furniture, you start to see that God is rebuilding Eden home right here among his people in the middle of the desert, a place on earth where he is, where his good rule as king is restored, where his friendship can be rejoined, uh, enjoyed. And the tree of life stands at the center of everything, standing for man. Human beings, as they enter into this place, are going to flourish with life again. He is inserting heavenly realities back into his broken world. He's restoring home life the way it was meant to be lived. The second thing we see here, though, is that home is a restricted place. Home is a restricted place. This is Exodus chapter 26. Um, if you were to read uh, Exodus chapter 26, you would find that the whole thing is dominated by curtains, okay? It's like, it's like forgive me if you are a grandmother, but it's like going to grandma's house, there's, there's curtains everywhere, you know? Lots of drapes. It's like what, what you would see, some of you thought that was funny, others of you were like, that is so dumb. Um, <laughs> But what you'd see if you read through Exodus 26 is that there are layers and layers and layers and layers of curtains. And so we ask, okay, like, what's up with all the curtains? So there's the Garden of Eden reality at the center, and then curtain, 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 curtain. What's up with all the curtains? Well, the curtains are about restriction. The curtains are all about restriction. They're to show us you can't get there. So I'm rebuilding Eden, and you can't get there. They're all about restriction. They remind us that it's our sin, it's our jacked upness that got us evicted from home, and we're shut out. And the curtains show us the gap between God's heavenly realities marked by beauty and holiness and his presence and flourishing in our earthly realities marked by ugliness and sin. John McKay writes this about Exodus chapter 26. He says, the description of the tabernacle leaves one lasting impression, that of the number of coverings and entrance curtains. There's there's tons. We're not even going to read it. There's too many, okay? Though Israel had this tremendous privilege of the divine presence in their midst, he's rebuilding Eden, there was to be no doubt that he is the Holy One. 
and that access to him was no easy matter, even though his palace and temple was right there at the center of their camp. You know, for us, we, we like to call Jesus our homeboy. It's like we like to take We like to take the Holy One, the King of Kings, and make him domesticated. But what we find whenever we look at the scriptures is that there is a holiness and weightiness that comes with him, that it is no small matter for us to enter into the presence of the Holy Ones, of the Holy One. So the question then becomes, okay, well, how can sinful, ugly, broken, jacked up people like us, and if you don't think that describes you, it's like you haven't lived enough, you know? How can we get in on the presence of God, in on those garden realities, so that we can come home and be healed? It's like I see the garden, but now I see I'm restricted. How do I get into those garden realities? Well, we see the third thing we see is that home is available through sacrifice. Home is available through sacrifice. What you're going to see over the next five minutes is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all over the tabernacle. Home is available through sacrifice. So chapter 25 is about the furniture uh, of the garden, the furniture, uh, you know, restoring the garden, showing us, pointing us to the garden. Chapter 26 is all about restriction. And chapter 27, we begin to see how we can enter in. This is what Exodus chapter 27 is about. The next section focuses on another piece of furniture called the altar. So notice that we are moving in order with this passage from inside to outside. We're moving inside, a little bit further outside, a little bit further outside. And the order is showing us how outsiders can become insiders and receive the healing of the garden. This is chapter 27, verse 1. It says this, you are to construct the altar of acacia wood. The altar must be square, seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and it must be four and a half feet high. So this is a This is a massive altar that stands right there at the entrance into, for lack of a better way of putting it, the Garden of Eden, healing home realities. And what the altars point to, what the altar points to is sacrifice. Okay, so why sacrifices? Well, what we've seen so far in our study of the book of Exodus is that the way sinful humanity can be forgiven and cleansed is through the sacrifice of another life. This is why there's altars all over the Old Testament. The people had sinned and deserved death, banishment from the presence of God. This is the penalty of sin. But God, right here, offered mercy through substitutionary sacrifice. An animal could die for their sin so that they could be forgiven, cleansed, and welcomed back into the presence of God, back into Garden of Eden realities. This is, why, this is what the altar is all about. It's about how sinful people can move toward the restoration of the garden. And the final thing we see here is that everyone is being invited back home. This is the fourth reality. Everyone is being invited back home. The final piece of the tabernacle was called the courtyard. The courtyard. This is Exodus 27, 9 through 19. And this is a very important piece of the tabernacle because it was the outer wall. So what I want to do here is I want to put a little, a little design. Our beloved Stephen Reese, our in-house graphic designer, built us a little design of the tabernacle to take all this stuff that we've been talking about and help us kind of understand it. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you the important, I want to show you uh, the, the outer walls, this courtyard of the tabernacle that Exodus 27 talks about. So you see, we're looking at these outer walls right here. What you see right here, and then I'm going to show you why this is really important. What you see here is that on the north side, there would have been an outer wall. 
On the west side, there would have been an outer wall that would have been 75 feet long. And then on the south side, there would have been another outer wall. But the east side is different. If if you were to pay attention, you were to read this in detail, you would see that it's on the east side that the tabernacle of God is open. The east side is where the gate is where people can enter in. So we have to go, okay, what's up with the east? What's up with the east? Why, Why no matter where this nomadic group of people went, were they supposed to set up the tabernacle so that the entrance, that's east, so that the entrance faced east? Well, again, if you were an ancient reader of this, you're your mind, your biblical mind would have just been firing. It would have been like, holy smokes, I know why he's pointing. I know why he's pointing the gate into the presence of God east because when humanity was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, it says that they were put out east of Eden. This is Genesis 3. I'll show you this. Look at this. We're going to have it up on the screen. Genesis 3, 23 and 24. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. And which direction is the opening to the tabernacle facing? It's east. So what does that show us? What does this mean? It shows us that right here, even in the design of the tabernacle, that God's deepest heart is to invite all people everywhere back into the healing and restoration of home. We've been put out east of Eden. The gate is open to the east. The light is on. And God is saying, I want you to come home. So watch this. We're gonna, we're, I just want you to see this. If you pay attention to the design of the tabernacle, you see these wild realities that we are all on the outside here. We're all on the outside. We're living in the brokenness of our world with this deep longing of going, man, the world isn't the way that it was meant to be. And what does God do right here in Exodus 25 through 27? Well, he comes, and right here in the middle, you see that he restores Eden. He restores Eden. All of the, the theologians call it, Edenic realities are there. The presence of God is there. The kingship of God is there. Friendship with God is being restored, and the tree of life is there going, you can flourish if you will enter back into this place. It's like, okay, well, how do we get back into that place? Well, it's through the altar of the burnt offering. You need a sacrifice in your place so that you can enter back into these garden realities, and you know the heart of God, the door is open to the east going, I want you in. I want you in. Guys, all the way back in Exodus 25 through 27, God was identifying with our deepest longings and making a way for us to come home. And so you might be sitting there asking, okay, well, what does this have to do with us? It's like, what does this ancient Near Eastern tent have to do with me? Well, because we are followers of Jesus, we read this story of the Bible backwards through Jesus. And if you think about Jesus, you will know that every single piece of this whole thing is fulfill, points to and is fulfilled in Jesus, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The tabernacle is all about him. This was a temporary tabernacle where temporary sacrifices would be offered for temporary forgiveness and temporary cleansing, but all of these temporary sacrifices pointed forward to the one great final tabernacle and sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. We fast forward to the New Testament and we find every single piece of this points to Jesus. So let me just, I'm just about to steamroll you with some New Testament. 
okay? So just sit there and be steamrolled, okay, by Jesus in the New Testament. We, we look in the New Testament and we find that, first of all, Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is it. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. Jesus is the tabernacle. There we go. Jesus, we find in John 1, 14, it says this, the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The literal translation of that word dwelling is tabernacle. He came and he tabernacled among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is the incarnation. This is what we celebrate during the Christmas season, the Advent season. God has come to dwell with us. He is the tabernacle of God. More than that, we find that Jesus is the ark of God. Remember, the ark is all about his kingship. Jesus arrives on the scene, and his, the first words out of his mouth are these words, repent because, keyword, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is what the ark was all about. He is the person through whom the good authority of God re-enters the world. And think about this. What happens as Jesus walks around in the Gospels? What happens? Garden realities are breaking out everywhere because he's restoring the kingdom of God. People's sin is being forgiven. People's physical ailments are being healed. Garden realities are breaking into the world through the kingship of Jesus Christ. Even more, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Remember the bread on the table that's being offered to us and going, man, we, God wants friendship with us. It says this, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He has come to restore enjoyment and friendship with God. Next, Jesus is the light of the world. Remember the lamp? It points to Jesus. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus then, guys, this is, Jesus is not only the tabernacle, he's not only the ark, he's not only the light, he's the sacrifice too. This is unbelievable. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies as the sacrifice so that we can be forgiven and cleansed and enter back into the realities of the garden. This is wild. Remember the curtains? We talked about the curtains. There's curtains and curtains and curtains and curtains. Well, when Jesus dies, something happens with curtains. Something happens with curtains. Look at this in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. It says this. But Jesus, this is the death of Jesus on the cross. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He dies. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And notice that it wasn't torn from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom. Why? Well, it's showing us that God tore the curtain. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are cleansed of our sins so that we can enter back into life with God the way it was meant to be lived. And finally, Jesus is the eastern door. Jesus is the eastern door. He comes to us in John 10, 9, and he says, I am the gate. Other translations call him the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. Guys, the gate is facing east, and it is open for you to enter in. And what has he given us? He's given us a mission. He's given us a mission to go into all the world and to proclaim that the gate back into garden realities has been opened and everybody's being invited in. 
And not only can we experience these garden realities now in part, but there's coming a day where we're going to experience them in full. Revelation 21, when he's going to make all things new. In Exodus 25 through 27, God is planting the seed of the kingdom of God. He's He's replanting the seeds of the garden. It grows a little bit more in Jesus. And one day when Jesus returns, these garden realities are going to go global. And he's going to make all things new. And anyone who places their faith in Jesus and enters by this gate gets in on the restoration of all things. Life the way it was meant to be lived. This is the good news of Jesus. And the point of all of this is that God is inviting you home. The 5th century North African bishop, St. Augustine, says it this way. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And the hope of this certainly is both present and future, like we said. We don't want to over-promise anything. The, The fullness of these garden realities is coming in the future, but do you know that we can experience them in part now? You can you can receive God's healing now. You can can come back to God now. You can have God's presence with you now. You can come and live under his authority now as king. You can enjoy friendship with him now. And you can come and dwell in the, the best way to say it is in the midst of the tree of life where life is restored to you now. And so the question that kind of hangs over all of this is, will you come home? Will you come home? And as we close, one of the core realities of home, the core realities of the garden is healing. It's that God wants to take all of the painful And this is hard to believe, but this is true, that God wants to take all of the painful, hard, sad realities of your life, whatever those might be, and he wants to reverse them into healing. And man, like, here's the thing, guys, as we close this, I know this has been kind of a technical teaching. It's like, we've been up at 30,000 feet all the time, but I want to bring this down into your life. Guys, I know. I know that you carried in here. I know this because I did. That you carried in here places of pain in your life. And if you think about the garden, there are four realities of the garden that I think God wants to restore. One of them is physical healing. It's like in the garden, like, There were no broken bones. There were no sickness. There was no sickness. Sorry, forgot how to speak English. There was no sickness. There was no back pain. There were no hangnails. There's no pain, physically. There's only beautiful forever life. In the garden, do you know that there was relational wholeness and beauty? There was no relational pain. There was no, um, he, shed, he said, she said, before the rebellion. There was no blame. There was no, there were no torn relationships. 
physical healing, relational healing. Do you know that there was, there were no mental disorders in the garden? Man, like, no clinical anxiety, no clinical depression, no trauma from the past that keeps you from living into the fullness of who God made you to be. There's mental wholeness. This is a garden reality. You know, there were, there's spiritual wholeness that lived in the presence of God, the God we were made to know. And so as we close this, man, the, what the, it's at the core of the, the center of the tabernacle is God inviting us home to be healed. And as I was praying for you guys, I was like, God, oh, man, I was back here in my office going, this is such a lame teaching. It's so like architecture and interior design and oh. But I just like had this prompting of the spirit that the spirit might want to heal. He might want to take, sure, some of this is future, but what you see in Jesus' ministry is that like healing's breaking out everywhere, relational healing, spiritual healing, emotional, mental healing, physical healing. It is breaking out everywhere. And so what we want to do is I just want to close this time by giving you the opportunity to just kind of identify, man, I need healing. And begging God for these garden realities. Do you know how Jesus teaches us to pray? That the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that prayer means? It means that garden realities, that's God's kingdom, that garden realities would enter into earthly experience right now. And guys, I just like, I have this conviction, and I, feel, I just want you to know, I feel super uncomfortable with this because I grew up as a, as a Baptist boy. But guys, we, I just think that the, if you read the pages of the New Testament, it just seems like God wants to heal. Like, really. And it seems like we're not just like playing church and going through religious motions, but like, he really wants to break in and change things. And one of the problems we have is that we spiritualize everything, but if you, and, and that's not all bad, but if you pay attention to Jesus, he holds spiritual and phys physical healing and tension. The whole hope of the New Testament is that God has come to heal everything. He wants to heal your soul, but this isn't only about your soul. Do you know at the center of Christianity is resurrection of the body? It's holistic hope. Where we live forever in perfect bodies. And so what I want to do, guys, here's my conviction. I could harp on that forever. But here's what I want to do. I just want to move through these four places of healing. And as I move through it, again, I, you know, you do not, this is not a pressure thing, okay? Um, if you don't feel comfortable with this, just sit there quietly and that's okay. Um, but I think God might want to heal some of you. And I read in 1 Timothy, Paul's instructions to Timothy this last week, set an example for the people in faith. And so guys, I'm just trying to go, hey, I want to have faith that God really wants to heal you. So here's what we're going to do. I want to start with physical healing. Then I want to go uh, relational healing. Then I want to go mental healing. Then I want to go spiritual healing. 
And I'm just going to ask you to just, you don't have to do anything but raise your hand. Uh, and I want to start with physical healing. So if you're here and you have a physical ailment and you would like me just to pray over you, um, you're just going to stay in your seat. I'm not going to have you come down here. I'm not going to like Benny hen you, you know, and knock you over or anything. Um, I can't, can you bring the house lights back up? I can't see out there now. Um, but if you need physical healing, if you've got a sickness, a disease, if you've got a broken bone, if you've got a hurt back, I just want to invite you to raise your hand right now. Uh, and I want to I pray healing over you uh, in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you see the people that have identified themselves, and we, we look at your ministry in the Gospels, and we believe that you love to heal physically. And so we thank you for our bodies. We mourn where our bodies don't work right, and we pray physical healing in the name of Jesus over these brothers and sisters. Where they're hurting, undo their hurt. We pray kingdom of God, garden realities over them in the name of Jesus. We want to see it happen. We're believing in faith. We believe, help our unbelief. Come, Lord Jesus, and heal in this moment. If, you've ex if you experienced healing, please come let us know. We'd love to have a testimony of that. For those of you who have relational wounds and you need relational healing, I just ask that you'd raise your hand right now. You have a, a strained relationship with a family member, you, with a parent, maybe it's with a child, and you're just like, man, I need the garden realities of full restoration restored now. I want to come through the sacrifice of Jesus. I want those garden realities to be restored relationally. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand right now, Lord Jesus, we pray restoration of relationships. God, the enemy comes to divide us. He hates unity. He loves disunity. We pray that you'd remove the enemy from all of this relational hardship, and we pray restoration of, of relationships, God. I pray restoration of broken marriages. I pray restoration of parent and child relationships. I pray restoration of child-parent relationships. I pray restoration over friendships that were once deep friendships. And you're like, man, where did that friend go? I pray uh, a forgiveness. Uh, God, I pray that forgiveness would be asked for and forgiveness would be extended, God. Healing in relationships. God, we believe you are for relational unity. We pray for it in the name of Jesus. If you're here and you have uh, something going on mentally, emotionally, you're like, man, I mean, you may not even know. We believe that garden realities are mental wholeness. Maybe it's anxiety, anxiety. maybe it's depression. Maybe you're a, a former military service member. Thank you for your service, and you have PTSD, and you can't sleep at night. I don't know what it is, but if you have a mental, emotional thing going on, that maybe it's a disorder, or maybe you're like, I don't know. I, if you would just raise your hand, I want to pray. God, you made our minds. You made our brains. You made, you made everything about us. You made our thoughts. And I'm just praying, God, that we would be transformed through the renewal of our minds. I pray healing in the name of Jesus from anxiety. I pray healing in the name of Jesus from intrusive thoughts. I pray healing in the name of Jesus from depression. I pray healing in the name of Jesus from PTSD. God, we want freedom from these things. We want those garden realities to come into these realities. We want the kingdom of God here in our church family and in our city as it is in heaven. 
And so we pray for healing. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Guys, can I just say this? I, I, I want you to know that we, are, we believe Jesus can heal in a moment. We also believe in therapy. And so if you, if you need to get a therapist, let us know. We would love to help you. And finally, spiritual healing. Um, some of you have been lost. You entered into this place. You don't know God. You're like, man, I'm exploring, but I need to come home to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you've never become a Christian before. And you're like, man, I hear this. I hear God wants me home, and I want to go home. I want to go home. If you would, if you would just raise your hand right where you're at. If you want to come home, I just want to lead you in a prayer. God, I, you can just pray this silently after me. God, I want to come home. I believe that Jesus has died the death that I deserve. He is my sacrifice so that I can enter back into garden realities. I want that. I want to turn from living my way. I want to live in your authority. I want to be your friend. I want the flourishing life that you offer. I believe Jesus is the only way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, we, we make invitations, you make decisions. We would love to know about that. We don't want to only make converts. We want to make disciples. So we would love to help you obey Jesus in every area of life. We want the healing of God. So what we're going to do now is we're going to respond. We're going to respond through taking communion. Um, this is the meal. I love this. God set the table in the tabernacle with bread and wine. Jesus is the bread and wine. I love this. It all pointed to him. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and take a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked with twine. Um, we have stations in the back, two stations here in the front, um, and would invite you to come participate in communion. We're also going to sing and celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We're also going to have our prayer team. If you're on the prayer team, if you would make your way up, uh, they're going to be right down here by this door and right down here by this door, and they would love to pray for you. If you're like, man, I, I, I didn't experience healing from what I know, but I want healing. They would love to continue to pray for healing over you. Um, there's this instance, I got to get off the stage, but I got to tell you this. There's this instance in the Gospels, it's wild, where the healing of Jesus takes multiple times. I don't understand this, but I don't know. And uh, Jesus, like, there's this blind guy, and he comes, and, and, and he's like, I want to see. And Jesus goes, okay, you, you, know, you know, be healed. And he goes, okay, can you see? And he goes, no, it's fuzzy. And it's like, all, not all the way there. And he goes, okay, let's do, it, you know, let's do it again. And then he can see. So you may need to have, a, I don't know, a second person pray for you. I don't know what the theological application of that is. I'm just saying that. <laughs> but man, we, I want the garden of God to be restored in your life. So church family, let's stand and let's respond as the Lord leads us.